Please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at one verse this morning. I don't usually like to do that, but we are going to, as we walk through 1 Timothy, Paul arrives in his letter to Timothy at a place in which he is going to begin talking about leaders within the church. And it is a good place for us to to slow the tape down and to meditate on this subject. We see all around us misuse of authority. It is just so regular. It's on the news all the time. Whether it's misuse of authority in Washington, D.C., and covering up authority, and then someone trying to figure that out, it just, it's just constant. It's a constant stream of who's misusing their authority today. Abusing authority, lying to those beneath them, to, to others. And we've become accustomed to it, to the point where, especially we here in the States, we have this general sense of suspicion to those in authority. We do not trust, generally, institutions nearly as much as some of those in our European brothers and sisters in Christ or or European countries might in various institutions that they tend to rely on. But here in the States, we have different views. Many of you may remember the scandal with Watergate and President Richard Nixon. And you you may remember not only the event, but maybe you also remember how your views of the presidency were changed, not just by that man, but not just of President Nixon himself, but of presidents in general. For decades, there was a general trust of the FBI. And in our time, it seems like no matter which end of the political aisle you are, nobody is satisfied with the FBI these days. We can extend this from the national scene to the personal one. Some of you grew up with caring, supportive, loving parents and you had that good use of authority, and others of you did not. You saw and experienced suffering and trauma at the hands of another, and so your view of that parental authority is not nearly as positive as someone else's. Think of, well, think of your experience with doctors and medicine. When I was a kid, I was terrified of the dentist, and for good reason. For good reason, not just because dentists are scary individuals, although I still somewhat maintain that to be true. When I was a kid, the dentist at my parents took all of us, we had had one younger brother, two older siblings, took all of us too. Uh, He was not a a kind dentist. My wife, she has a completely different perspective on dentists. Her parents took her to a good dentist who was like kind and like, so when we got married and her view of dentists was like, oh, yeah, let's, let's keep scheduling appointments to dentists. And I was like, you go to the dentist when you absolutely have to. That's it. Like, and that's only it. And just very different viewpoints. My dentist was not that way. He was cruel. He was harsh. He did not like children. My parents didn't know this, of course. Uh, he did not allow my mom or my, their, my dad to join, to come back with him and join us in the, in the same office space. He didn't like children at all. I'll never forget, uh, he would regularly remove teeth or do procedures without using any numbing agent whatsoever. At one time, when, I, when he was 
doing such an action on me. He was pulling a tooth, and he had broken the tooth. He hadn't used any numbing agent whatsoever. I let out a scream, and he smacked me. My mom and dad didn't understand why my brother and my sisters and I didn't like the dentist. And we just thought this is what dentists did. We had no other dentist to compare it to. So years later, not too many years ago, we were all sitting around and talking, and my sisters and my brother and I were talking about just reminiscing about life. And we start sharing with our parents, oh, yeah, that dentist. And my mom was horrified. She had no idea any of that was happening. She told us, or the dentist had told her, that he let us scream as often and as loud as we wanted as long as we were still, which was a very different story of what we were being told back in the office. Total different use of authority can change the way you view that authority. And that's exactly what's happening in the city of Ephesus where Timothy is at. It's become clear that there has been a misuse of authority. Timothy is sent by Paul as a delegate, apostolic delegate, to lead this church through crisis. A crisis of leadership. There are teachers, some of the leaders in the church had been teaching that which did not fit with what was clearly taught in Scripture. Not over minor things, but over, over the most essential things, the most central and important matters. They were departing from the very gospel, from the very essence of understanding what the word of God was. They were teaching false doctrine. More than this, their failure wasn't only doctrinal, it was moral. At various points in time, Paul will address the morality of these teachers. More than just moral or doctrinal, they were abusing their authority. That is, they were leveraging their authority to abuse those under them to control those under them. We find in chapter 4, at one point, Paul addresses the fact that the people at Ephesus had been commanded, and sometimes they were controlled, some, they were not allowed to marry, or they were commanded to do this or that. Apparently, the leaders of that church had been exercising a form of unbiblical control on those under them. And Timothy is stepping into this, And Paul is trying to counsel him. But he's not just counseling him. This isn't a private letter. We have said that over and over again. It was a public letter. It was meant for the whole church to hear and to read. And part of what Paul's desire is, is he wants wants the, the people there in Ephesus, this local church, to understand that despite the fact that the leaders of their church had abandoned the way of God, the teaching of Christ, they had abandoned the, the way of Christ in their, in their lives and they had misused the authority that God had granted them. But despite that authority being twisted and misused, we cannot, they ought not to scrap authority altogether. But rather the church needed authority, good authority, more than ever. They needed to choose good leaders. And so Paul, here, the beginning of chapter 3, begins to unpack what good leaders are. The end of chapter 2, we saw a couple weeks ago that Paul describes those who are not to be in leadership. And here, he begins to describe the kind of people who are to be in leaders. Very 
We see this in verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 3. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. And so as we meditate upon just this singular verse, what we're going to see is that there is a, a faithful saying, there is a good work, and there is a holy ambition to be pursued. Would you join me before we study the Lord's, before we study this word from the Lord, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, your word tells us in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, that you are the rock. Your work is perfect. And all your ways are righteous. You are a God of truth and faithfulness, that you are just and right. Father, I pray as we come to your word, that we will see these things to be true, that we will see your character, and we will see what you call us to look for and to be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Very first thing that we see here is that there is a a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying, Paul writes. Paul uses that phrase, this is a faithful saying, or this is a trustworthy saying. He uses that five times between his letters to Timothy and Titus. These are what were called often his pastoral epistles, his letters to pastors, Timothy and Titus, serving as church leaders. And these are Paul's writings to these church leaders. And, and, and in these two, or I'm sorry, three letters, Paul uses this phrase, this is a faithful or trustworthy saying five times. And each time when he uses that, he is signaling that this is an important thing. That what he is about to say or what he has just said is massively significant and important for the Christian life. That this is something to be believed not only for a church, but by all believers. Usually he uses this phrase to signal something doctrinal, theological. This is a faithful saying. Christ has come into the world to save sinners. That's a doctrinal, theological statement that we can rejoice in. And here he uses this saying to signal something else. Not so much doctrinal, but practical, but yet still theologically important. This is a faithful saying. It's like the saying today. You may have used, you can take this to the bank. That's what this is. It's, it's, it's an idiom. It's a phrase that's meant to underline how important this next phrase is. What we need to understand is that this church in Ephesus is hurting. They have been misled. They have been mistaught. They have been misused by their leaders. And there's a good chance you can imagine that they are second guessing whether they want any more leaders. Can you imagine that? And they've been so hurt and wounded by their leaders. Why would they want them anymore? And it's not like today where they can just go to another church. There aren't other churches for them to go to. Perhaps the idea of authority in the local church has become like a four-letter word to them. Something repulsive, something to be avoided. But even in this situation, Paul reminds them and us that the problem isn't leadership. It's not authority. 
If that was the case, then churches ought not to have any leaders. There ought to be no one in authority. And certainly there have been and are cases of churches and groups which try to have something like that. And yet what we see is that Paul advocates just the opposite here. The problem isn't that leadership and authority is bad. The problem is how those leaders, how leaders in the church use and leverage their authority. Just as we read earlier about Christ giving instruction to his disciples, how they are to leverage the authority that Christ gives them. They are to follow in the footsteps of Christ, not to be served, but to serve. This is a faithful saying, Paul writes. If a man desires the position of bishop, he desires a good work. So you have a faithful saying, and then you have this good work that is mere described. Serving a church as a leader is indeed work. It is a good work. He doesn't use it. It could be translated task, but it, he doesn't simply say the office of bishop or the office of overseer, the office of church leader is a, is a good position. It's not a good role. It's not a good situation. It is a good work. In 1 Thessalonians 5.12, Paul writes this, saying, And we urge you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Those who labor, that word describes those who are working to the point of exhaustion. I can tell you that those who serve as elders to this church are sometimes worked to the point of exhaustion. And if I don't tell you that, they might tell you that. There are late night meetings. There are difficult situations. And we're not just point of exhaustion of physical tiredness, but mental exhaustion, emotional exhaustion. It is exhausting work. It is work. They sacrifice afternoons and evenings, weeknights and weekends sometimes. They work, sometimes early in the morning. To serve as a leader in a church is difficult work because of the opposition you face. In 1830, a man by the name of Charles Bridges wrote this. He said, many other tracks in life offer large promises of indulgence as rewards. But to this work, that is the work of being an elder or pastor, is most especially linked to the daily cross. And in it must be anticipated severe and sometimes overwhelming trials. And he says these trials are going to come from four places. One, they're going to come from the professing church. It is the problems for that leaders face are often within the church, from the professing church itself, but also from the world, from Satan, and then also from themselves. Serving as a leader in a church is work. But he says it is a good work. And that's where the accent here falls. It is a good work. That is, it is a work worthy of pursuing. It is a work worthy of desiring. It is a work worthy of of endeavoring to, to hold, to serve in. Serving as a leader in a church is a good and noble work. It is commendable. Brothers, it is worthy of being sought. It is good because it is service to Christ. It is good because it is service to Christ's people. 
to comfort those who are anxious, to show mercy and to visit those who are hurting, to help those who are weak, to rebuke those who are wayward, to show love to the small and the great together. It is a good work. It's a good work to to spend an evening thinking and praying for others. It is good because the local church itself is a visible display of the glory of Christ and of the gospel of Christ Jesus. It is good. It is a good work. And there are three words that describe this work. Here we have, we have one of them in this verse. It's translated as bishop in the New King James. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. The word bishop here, translated in the New King James as bishop, is really this word episkopos. It, it, it simply means overseer. And that might be a better translation of it, overseer. Bishop carries with it for us, we carry with it the idea of a hierarchy of some sort, that there needs to be a, a hierarchy within the church, within maybe even outside of the church, that you're going to have a, a bishop and then you're going to have other church leaders within the church. But here, what this word simply means is overseer, that is the duty of a church leader is to oversee, to watch over, to disciple, to care for the church, the people of God. Secondly, the, another word that is used more than 20 times to refer to church leaders in the New Testament is that of elder. And outside of the Apostle John's use of it, John, the Apostle John refers to himself twice as an elder or the elder. And he uses that only singular referring to himself because he is a singular person. I am the elder. But every other time when it's used to discuss leaders within the church, it is always in the plural. The elders of the church at the city of Philippi, the elders of the church at the city of Ephesus. It's always in the plural. And it signals spiritual maturity. It signals that the chief function of an elder is to minister the word in some way. And the third word that is connected with these two other words of overseer and elder is that of pastor, or shepherd. The idea here is caring or leading with love the people of God. It is to shepherd, to love, and to lead with love. All of these words are used interchangeably in the New Testament. They're used interchangeably. That is, Paul isn't describing three different positions. You have bishops or overseers, then you have elders, then you have pastors. It's actually all three words are used to describe one office, one position. You can see this in Acts 20, 28. If you want to turn your Bibles there, that's fine. If you just want to listen, that's fine too. But in Acts chapter 20, Paul is drawing near to the city of Ephesus and he calls out to him the elders of the city of Ephesus to come to him. And when they arrive, he begins to talk with them and warn them about what's to come. And in verse 28, Paul tells the elders that he's called for, he tells them this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, that's our word, pastor, to pastor, to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Here, elders are called to oversee and to 
pastor to shepherd. We see the same thing happening in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. There, Peter tells the elders of a local church that they are responsible to shepherd, to pastor, God's people exercising oversight. All three words, once again, used to describe this role. And this gets used again in first, I'm sorry, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. All three words used interchangeably to describe one office. Elders and pastors are the same thing. We do see in the New Testament that there is a pattern of setting aside one or more elders, one or more to a special work of the ministry. That is, they give themselves full time for it, and we'll see that in coming weeks. But what we find is that the job description of a pastor and an elder is the same job description, is the same role, the same function, the same task that has been given, the same work. And I realize that all of this may sound like useless information to you. Like, what, what does this matter? What do I care about these three words and how they're used and whether they're interchangeable or not? I mean, who, who cares? Who gives a rip about leadership in a church? That sounds like something that pastors need to worry about or some theologian somewhere. That has no bearing on my life. And yet it has every, every implication for your life as a Christian. If these men are called to shepherd and to care for you, who, who they are and what their job description is matters because they're responsible for you. The author of Hebrews tells us that they will give an account to Christ for your souls. But more than this, We may not feel in times of pleasantness that it matters a great deal how the leadership structure in the church works, how it operates. It's superficial. It's meaningless. It's extra. God doesn't really care. But everybody starts caring about leadership when there's a problem. There have been numerous churches in our day that have, that have just gotten rid of this element altogether. I was talking with one brother who attended this church for years just this past week. On Friday, he called for counsel about his church. He and his wife are living out of state. They've been attending a church for some time. They, there's a lot about the church that they like. But there are some things that they have questions about. And they found that their pastor, there, there are, there, he has a board, but it's a board of trustees and those board of trustees are just other pastors in other states. That there is no, no one in the church that's holding anyone accountable. There is, there is no one else outside of him and the other paid pastors on staff. And there are some issues with him and with what's going on. And what, what is he to do? This matters when there are problems. When a pastor, when church leaders have no one who's holding them accountable... That's when we care about church leadership. That's when we find it's important. And Paul here at the very front wants us to understand what church leaders are. A bishop is an overseer, is an elder, is a pastor. All three describe one role. And this role of a church leader is absolutely critical to your discipleship in Christ. 
Leaders are called by Christ to serve the church so that Christians are built up in Christ and the gospel is free to spread. And we ignore these things at our own peril. And at the cost of Christ's name in this world, church leadership matters. How it works matters. And because we have a faithful saying and because serving as a church leader is a good work, Paul makes this statement. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Desiring to become a pastor, desiring to become an elder, desiring to serve the Lord in ministry is a good desire. It is a holy ambition. I want you to understand he uses this word desire, not not calling. And I think that's important. Perhaps you have heard Christians say somewhere along the lines, I I feel God is calling me to do this. I've had more than one occasion someone tell me, God, I think God is calling me to be an elder. God is calling me to be a pastor. And often what they simply mean is that they feel an extra strong desire to serve in this way. But that, that language of called can be fraught with danger because if we say God has called me to be a pastor or to be an elder here, well, then who is anyone else to say no? Who is anyone else to, to get in the way of the Lord? This is God's work. And if he's told you this, how could anyone else oppose you, even if they watch your life and don't think you're there yet? Saying I am called in this way can give a sense of divine right. I think this word is better. If a man desires, or you might see the word as if a man aspires. It has the idea of reaching out with a desire to attain something. If a man aspires to this work, if anyone aspires to this work, he desires a good work. The aspiration to serve as an elder or pastor is a good. I want you to think how explosive this was in Ephesus. Imagine watching your elders, your church leaders, just blow up the church. Misuse, mislead, abuse God's people. Imagine watching that and thinking, I really want to be... I really want to serve the Lord in this church. I I would love to be an elder. I would love to teach God's word. But at that moment when you're watching that, you're thinking, I don't ever want to do that. And it is part of what Paul wants to communicate, not only to them, but to us here. That desiring this thing, brothers, is a worthy endeavor. It is a good desire. It is something we ought to desire. And so I think there are, It is important for us to remember Paul is writing this letter as a public letter. He's writing this to Timothy, to church leaders. He's writing this letter to this church. He's writing this letter to to the men who are there, who are struggling with their desire and their ambition to be a church leader and what that looks like. And so we ask the question, what does responsibility do current pastors and elders have? What do, what do what do church leaders' responsibility, what, do, what was the responsibility that current church pastors and elders have for those who desire this work? 
First, we are to take our responsibility. Elders, pastors, take your responsibility in Christ seriously. If it is a good work, show that it is a good work by your demeanor. Show it by the way you give yourselves. Brothers, I am praise God for you regularly, repeatedly. You are gifts of the Lord, not only to this church, but to me. You have challenged me. You have helped me. You have grown me. Continue in that work. More than that, let us remember that this work that Christ has given us is good and that we want others to join with us. So pray, let us continue to pray for others. Let us find ways to encourage young men and other men to join us and to pursue this work. More than this, he is writing this letter to this church here at Ephesus. You, brothers and sisters in Christ, you have a role in this as well. You need to remember that what your elders do is a good work. It is work and it is good. Encourage them. Respect them, thank them, listen to them, watch them. Remember the challenges and the opposition that they face. They face work challenges. They face family challenges. They face their own sinful lives. They face the challenges from the world, questions, and difficulties. Remember them. Pray for them. Encourage those who are aspiring to this work. It would be easy in... In this, in this town of Ephesus, in this church of Ephesus, for the believers there, after watching what their leaders had done, for them to just discourage anyone from, from standing up, from being willing to step a foot out and to begin leading in any way. To begin to just be suspicious of them. To question them. To question their motives. But it is not just the responsibility of church leaders to encourage brothers to desire this work and and their aspiring of it. It is all of our responsibility. So pray. Pray for the men in this church that they might aspire this, aspire for this. Pray for those whom you see who are active in serving Christ in this way. Pray that they would grow. Pray that God would guard them. Guard them from themselves. Guard them from sin. That he would teach them to live holy lives. Pray for their families. Pray for their walk in the world. In the world. Pray for them to grow in understanding of God's word. And give them space to grow. Spiritual growth and maturity takes time. It it takes years. Do you remember what you were like when you were 20 and 21 and 22? Some of you don't want to remember what you were like when you were 21, 22. it, It wasn't pretty. Spiritual growth takes time. Be patient. Be hopeful for them. When someone is given an opportunity to preach or to teach or to lead, don't despise them because, you know, look, you've done it a million times and, man, they're just falling all over themselves. 
They're going to mess up. They're going to fail. That's okay. This is a place where which it is safe to fail because we love one another. Remember that this is part of their training, part of their growing, part of their development. Encourage them. Encourage them. Encourage them in their service so that when they fall flat on their face and they preach a bad sermon or teach a terrible class or lead and just botch an opportunity, be honest with them in a loving way. Build them up. Challenge them. This is what this church has done for me for more than 11 years. I first came here. I think I'm a better preacher now than I was then. It may not be true, but I think I am. By God's grace, I'll be a better preacher than I was than to, in five years than I am today. This church has been exceedingly patient with me. Helpful, encouraging, challenging me. It has helped identify weaknesses. It has spurred me on. Do that with others. Continue to do that with others. I'll never forget First time I preached in a church, I I like to say I preached everything I knew and then quite a bit I didn't know. It was terrible, objectively bad. I had preached before, but in a nursing home. And my first time preaching in a particular nursing home, one of the ladies came up after me. She came and took her time getting there. And as she got there and I was getting to know her a little bit, she told me, You are the best preacher I have ever heard in my life. And I was feeling really encouraged. Next week I came back. She came up to me again. You are the best preacher I've ever heard in my life. Have you been here before? (laughs) And I realized she had Alzheimer's. So if you brothers, if you need encouragement, preach in a nursing home. (laughs) I thought I was something. But encourage each other. Encourage each other in this. Lastly, I think Paul is talking to men who are desiring to be elders. What should you do if you desire to serve as a pastor or an elder? He's going to go on and we're going to look at some of the character qualities that he, he describes here. And I want you to understand when Paul is like, hey, if you want to be a, an overseer, uh, if you want to be a pastor, an elder, this is a good work. And then he doesn't tell us anything about the work itself. He doesn't tell you this is what you're going to do. This is the job description. This is what you're going to this is what you have to accomplish. What he does is he gives us the character qualities. Because the character qualities are 99 percent of the job. That you are to be men of God, exemplary, living your life in a way that points others to Christ. That's what you are to do. Watch your life, Paul will tell Timothy. Part of this is growing in humility, being accountable to someone, being correctable, open to rebuke and correction, learning from others, submitting yourselves to God's word, to God's people. Give attention to your life. Give attention to God's word, to doctrine, Paul will say. Elders and church leaders, you don't have to know every point of doctrine. 
We need to have an above average understanding of God's word to teach and counsel others. Love and serve those around you. You want to be a pastor or a church leader or a minister in some way? Don't wait for the opportunities. They are around you all the time. It may start with opening doors for other people. It may start by calling those who, whom you haven't noticed lately at church. It may start with letters or texts and emails. It may start with just simply meeting someone for coffee and trying to disciple and encourage them. But there are opportunities to serve all around. Do not wait for a position of leadership. Start serving. Be faithful in it. Look for those who need encouragement. Look for those who are alone. Reach out to them. Don't wait for an opportunity to preach from the pulpit. There are opportunities to teach kids, to teach all sorts Be faithful in the work that God has given you. Follow the example of Christ. Follow the example of Christ. Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I imagine as Paul is writing this to Timothy, the very first Sunday in which this letter arrives, And Timothy reads this letter for the entire church. I would not be surprised if there were some present who were not Christians, but were simply trying to scope out what this church thing was. And as they walked into this Sunday morning service, perhaps they began to realize that there was a lot of tension in the air. Perhaps they kind of knew some of the history, the recent history of that church. How leaders had misused and abused the people and misled. And Paul intends for them to hear this message too. And friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, Paul intends you to hear this. Not merely that being a pastor or an elder is a good work. It is. But ultimately what he does in this section is he points the whole church to Christ. The the example that we are given here of the ones who are to follow after the Lord, who are to lead God's people, these are examples that are preeminently seen and displayed in Christ Jesus. What does it look like for a Christian leader to lead? It ought to resemble Christ. Our Savior who who did not think of himself, though being God, did not think of himself as, 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 as over others, did not think of his deity as something to be grasped, the scriptures say in Philippians chapter 2. But he made himself nothing, humbled himself, becoming one of us, becoming a man, becoming obedient, even to the point of death, death on the cross. And he has risen from the grave and is now highly exalted, Leveraging all authority in heaven on earth for the sake of his people. Look to Christ. 
Authority need not be a negative thing. It ought to be something we we pursue. It ought to be something we respect. But authority done well, authority submitted to Christ is good. Look to the good shepherd. Follow him. Hope in him. Trust in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there has not been a a Christian, much less a church leader or an elder or pastor who has perfectly followed after Christ, who has perfectly leveraged their authority in the same way that our Savior has. Father, teach us to pursue you that this work of authority in the church is a good work. That it is something we ought to pursue ourselves. That it is something we ought to pray for those who are in authority and to encourage those who are aspiring in it. Father, help us as a church to grow in these ways. Help us as a church to model what we preach, to model after our Savior, that we may honor your name and point others to the hope that is found only in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.